Welcome to Skipta Soundbites. The 64th Annual Scientific Meeting of the American Headache Society, running June 9th through 12th, 2022. The 64th Annual Scientific Meeting of the American Headache Society, AHS, provided attendees with many opportunities to learn about the latest advancements in diagnosing and treating headaches. Held virtually and in person at the Gaylord Rockies Resort in Denver, the meeting spanned four days and included industry-sponsored events, award ceremonies, scientific sessions, and poster presentations. Here we summarize some of the presentations that caught our attention at the conference on Friday, and we will follow this up with a post-conference wrap-up. Select sessions highlights at the AHS meeting. What gives? Migraine prevalence remains stable as disability reports climb. The prevalence of migraine in the United States has remained stable, while the proportion of people with migraine disability assessments, MIDAS scores, in the moderate or severe disability range has nearly doubled from 22% in 2005 to 43% in 2016, according to data presented by Fred Cohen, MD, an internist and headache medicine fellow at the Jefferson Headache Center of Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia. To provide insight into the changing patterns of disease, Cohen and his colleagues culled the literature to find studies addressing the prevalence and or burden of migraine, episodic migraine, EM, or chronic migraine, CM, classified by International Classification of Headache Disorders Criteria. The MIDAS scale, which measures days lost due to migraine over three months and defines a group with moderate grade 3 or severe disability grade 4 based on a cutoff score of 11 or greater was used to categorize disease burden. In all, there were 26 publications from 11 U.S. population-based studies included in the final analysis. The researchers found that prevalence of migraine in the population remained relatively consistent for the past 30 years, affecting 11.7% to 14.7% of people overall. 17.1% to 19.2% of adult women, and 5.6% to 7.2% of adult men. The prevalence of migraine among women is consistently as much as three times higher than that of men. Prevalence data for chronic migraine in the United States are more scarce. One study showed a rate of 0.91%, 1.29% among females, and 0.48% among males, and another showed a prevalence rate of 0.79% among adolescents. The number of people with migraine reporting moderate to severe disability is on the rise across studies from 22% in 2005 to 39% in 2012 to 43.2% in 2016 and 42.4% in 2018, the study showed. For people with migraine and moderate or severe disability, this is a 77% increase from 2005 to 2012, and a more than 90% increase at the 2016 to 2018 mark. A consistently higher proportion of women reported MIDAS 3 and 4 relative to men, the study also revealed. The exact reasons for this unexpected pattern are unclear, but the researchers do have some theories. Quote, perhaps differences in methods of data collection or reductions in participation rates contribute if there is selective participation of more disabled people with migraine in more recent studies. Unquote. Or, quote, perhaps a greater understanding of migraine has increased the willingness of people with the disease to report their disability, 
or this trend might also reflect changes in a risk factor that has increased over time that makes migraine more disabling, unquote, the researchers hypothesized. The virtual neurologist is in. EMR tool reduces unnecessary referrals, MRIs, by primary care doctors. Unnecessary referrals to neurologists and orders for brain magnetic resonance imaging, MRIs, for headaches by primary care doctors can tax the healthcare system. When an automated electronic medical record, EMR, tool guides diagnosis and treatment, the number of neurology referrals and brain MRIs ordered goes down without sabotaging patient care. This is the main takeaway message from a study presented by Scott Friedenberg, MD, a neurologist at Geisinger Health System in Danville, Pennsylvania. Quote, primary care providers at Geisinger Medical Center cited access to a neurologist as the one thing they wish they had when it comes to caring for headache patients, he said. Quote, we answered their request with a creative solution, a virtual neurologist in the form of an evidence-based diagnosis, treatment, and note-writing tools that popped up on the screen when they entered a headache diagnosis in the EMR, unquote. To see if this made a dent in referrals, Friedenberg compared primary care doctor referral habits before and after the implementation of the new tool. And it worked. There was a 77% drop in neurology referrals and a 35% reduction in MRI ordering over three months from two primary care sites, saving the institution approximately $192,000. For the study, 141 charts for headache referrals were reviewed in Phase 1. A primary headache disorder or chronic daily headache was the final diagnosis in 79% of patients. For these patients, the three components of ID migraine, a simple three-question test to identify migraine, were documented in less than 1%. Any red flag headache feature was documented in 28%, and relevant medical illnesses were documented in 16%. 39% of patients had tried one prescription medication, and 19% had tried more than one preventative and or abortive medication. The results were applied to develop an evidence-based EMR tool for primary care doctors to help diagnose headache, order imaging, prescribe appropriate medication, and place a referral to a neurologist. In Phase 2, researchers evaluated 1,860 patient charts, 986 in the three months prior to release of the EMR tool, and 874 in the three months after its release to see if physicians improved diagnosis and delivery of evidence-based therapies. They found that in addition to decreases in MRI orders and neurology referrals, prescriptions for non-tryptan abortive medications increased, while prescribing patterns for other medication types did not change. This protocol now serves as the foundation for a randomized prospective study with 38 sites at Geisinger Medical Center, which will further explore the efficacy of this tool in improving clinical outcomes, resource utilization, and prescribing habits of primary care doctors, he said. What is a migraine day? Detangling the disconnect between self-reports and guidelines in kids. Migraine trial guidelines recommend prospective data collection of headache features, but there exists a lack of consensus on how to define a migraine day. Researchers set out to determine the level of agreement between self-reported migraine and migraine according to diagnostic guidelines for children and adolescents who prospectively completed a text message-based headache diary for 4 to 12 weeks. 
The new research is a secondary analysis of headache diary data collected from participants in two projects, a study validating a pediatric scale of patient expectancy and a trial of occipital nerve blocks for status migranosis. Participants completed a text message-based headache diary for 4 or 12 weeks, depending on treatment, and were asked to complete a more detailed headache assessment on a randomly selected 20% of days with self-reported headache. This additional information was used to determine whether a headache day met the criteria for migraine or probable migraine based on the International Classification of Headache Disorders 3rd Edition, ICHD. Researchers also calculated the positive and negative predictive values, PPV and MPV, and Cohen's kappa by comparing concordance between patient self-report of migraine and ICHD migraine. 100 children and adolescents completed at least one detailed headache assessment during follow-up. There was poor agreement between self-reported and ICHD migraine, with a Cohen's kappa of 0.39, PPV of 0.51, and NPV of 0.88, reported Danielle Kellier, a medical student at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. After comparing headache diary entries from children and adolescents with primary headache, the patient's self-report of a migraine attack did not align with the diagnostic criteria in many cases, suggesting a lack of consensus on the meaning of migraine day between patients and researchers. Quote, we found low agreement between self-reported migraine and ICHD migraine, even after allowing for ICHD probable migraine, concluded the researchers. Quote, this suggests that both measures of migraine day are qualitatively different and may represent different aspects of migraine as a chronic disorder, and future studies would benefit from greater transparency in their methods to avoid readers conflating the two, unquote. Predicting migraine response to anti-CGRP monoclonal antibodies. Symptoms related to peripheral trigeminal sensitization are potential positive predictors of response and super-response to calcitonin gene-related peptide-related CGRP monoclonal antibodies, a new study shows. The findings were presented by Piero Barbanti, MD, PhD, an associate professor of neurology at San Rafael University in Rome. Several CGRP-related antibodies are approved for migraine prevention by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. For the study, Barbanti and colleagues aim to investigate predictors of response, greater than 50%, or super-response, greater than 75%, to CGRP-related antibodies. In this multi-center, cohort, real-life study, researchers evaluated 864 patients with high-frequency episodic migraine, HFEM, or CM, who were treated with erenumab, galcinezumab, or fermanezumab for more than 24 weeks at 21 Italian headache centers from December 2018 to June 2021. HFEM was defined as 8 to 14 days per month. Patients were assessed at baseline and every four weeks by a trained neurologist via face-to-face -face interview using a semi-structured questionnaire addressing sociodemographic factors, clinical migraine features, comorbidities, and concomitant medications. They found that unilateral pain, UP, and unilateral cranial autonomic symptoms, UAs, predicted greater than 50% and greater than 75% response in both HFEM and CM. In addition, UP and allodynia and UP plus UAs and allodynia predicted greater than 50% response and greater than 75% response in CM. 
UP and UAs also predicted greater than 50% and greater than 75% response in HFEM. In CM, UP plus allodynia predicted greater than 75% response, whereas obesity predicted a lack of response to these drugs. The bottom line? Symptoms related to peripheral trigeminal sensitization, including UP and UAs alone, or with allodynia, are potential positive predictors of response and super-response to anti-CGRP monoclonal antibodies. By contrast, obesity exerts a negative effect. These findings may help doctors eliminate some of the trial and error involved in choosing medication to treat headaches. Thank you for listening to Skip to Soundbites. For more highlights, click the next audio file or share your thoughts by commenting below.